Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. Um, this week, we are joined uh, by Shira Atkins. Shira is the co-founder and the chief marketing officer um, at Wonder Media Network, not to be confused with Wondery. Um, Shira, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so uh, for those who do not know, Wonder Media Network um, is, we used to call them podcasting companies, but now it's an audio-first media company. Um, and it's dedicated to, to elevating the voices, not just of women, but underrepresented groups. Is that fair? That is fair. Yeah. Okay. Our stated, our stated mission is to amplify underrepresented voices. So hopefully we do that with our audio first media. So let's talk, well, I want to get into what audio, audio first media uh, means, but let's start with, you know, what was the gap in the market? You, your co-founder, uh, Jenny, Jenny Kaplan, she came from, from, uh, from Bloomberg. Right. And, and you're from the sort of brand strategy side. So explain how you got together and what was, what was the genesis of this as far as what was the gap that you saw in the market? Yeah, absolutely. So Jenny and I are good friends from college. Um, after school, she joined Bloomberg news as a reporter and she was there for a couple of years, total rising star in the newsroom. Um, I had a, like a weird circuitous path, worked at lots of different media entities and then for myself. Um, and Jenny hosted a podcast at Bloomberg. When I was working for myself, I was consuming a lot of content um, and fell in love with podcasts. And Jenny's mom in 2018 decided to run for Congress in North Carolina, along with the many other women who ran in unprecedented numbers. And Jenny felt like the story was being told really poorly that it could be told really well over podcast, that Bloomberg might not be the right place to tell that story. And when she looked around and she saw all the other sort of women-centered, I'm using air quotes for people that are listening, um, <laughs> women-centered We do media a lot of air quotes on the podcast. So. I mean, it's meta already, right? Podcast, yeah. podcast. So air quotes about media. Um, she sort of felt like, you know, there's obviously this tradition of women's lifestyle brands that are focused on fashion and beauty, and then there's political organizations that tell political stories um, that are all mostly helmed by men. And the story of women running for office is often the fact that there are a record number of women running and look at this pink wave and not what is the source of the gender disparity or the gender inequities. Um, and so she felt like there was a gap in podcasting that had started to be filled in traditional digital media, but wasn't yet filled in podcasting to create smart content focused on women and other underrepresented voices, but was not tied to fashion, beauty, or lifestyle. Yeah. And one of the things that I, we had Nick Kwa uh, from Hot Pot on, uh, I guess it was like a month ago. Um, but one of the things that we were talking about was, you know, podcasting has a little bit of a white male um, tint to it. Like if you go down the most popular podcast list, yeah. there's a type um, and it's usually middle-aged white, white guys. And as a middle-aged white guy, I'm not totally against them, but, um, there, it clearly suffers from a lack of diversity of voices. And first of all, why do you think that is? I mean, Nick had some interesting theories, but why do you think that, that podcasting is, um, I don't know, pale male and stale as the Brits say? <laughs> um, there's so many reasons and many of them are structural, right? Like who do we choose to listen to? Um, and many of them are also just like podcasting now, especially is just an offshoot of all of the other media that exists. Um, and so whoever is dominant in other media is going to come over into podcasting. Um, 
but also like podcasters love to say that there's such a low barrier to entry, right? Like you and I are just chatting over Zoom. You're holding a microphone up to your mouth. Many people do it in ways that are far less high tech than this. And this is not high tech. No offense. <laughs> much love. Um, <laughs> um, but, and so everyone says like there's this really low barrier to entry, but it's it's actually like you, you have to have the time. You have to have feel like you have something to say, like the world wants to listen to you. And those are often like traits that are associated with pale male and stale. Yeah. That said, I don't think, um, I, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, I'm sure, but um, all of the podcast platforms are in competition with one another right now. And so whomever they surface to the top of their page, whether it's the Apple Carousel or trending on Spotify or whatever, um, when somebody's deciding to go listen to a show on that particular platform, if they see Will Ferrell, they'll be psyched. If they see my face, they'll be less psyched. They don't know who I am. Hmm. Um, so there's just a little bit of the, you have to be big in order to get big thing that happens. Um, that is like dominant in all media and in podcasting. Yeah. I also wonder whether the, the sort of wave of podcasting was like, it was kind of analogous to talk radio in some ways, I feel like. And like a lot of the podcasts are versions of talk radio. Joe Rogan is a version of talk radio as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that is a that is a medium that is absolutely dominated by by white males. Um, and I wonder yeah. as as podcast diverse as podcasts diversify, particularly into more you know narrative um, and and other formats, whether that will end up opening up you know a lot more um, diversity of voices too. Yeah, and it certainly already has. Um, there's so many different types of podcasts now. Many of the best podcasts are hosted by women and women of color. Um, mm -hmm. All of our podcasts are that way. And um, I think as the space gets bigger, meaning as there are more listeners or people that are becoming listeners, they're going to want things that are other than white male stale talk radio. Right. Um, because how many hours can you listen to somebody just like interview their friend about something cool that happened in sports that week? I don't know. I mean, Bill Simmons, some of those podcasts go for like an hour and a half. So. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think they should get shorter and shorter. Not yeah. just Bill Simmons, all of them. I, well, I'm with you on that one. I find it intimidating. That's why we try to keep these to a half hour because I find, first, it's like the average commute when people commuted. But um, I don't know. It's too much of a commitment if you see like 54 um, there. But let's talk about some of your podcasts because you, you've got a really short one uh, with Encyclopedia Womanica. Um, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to pronounce that correctly, um, which is only five minutes, right? Yeah. It's a five-minute daily podcast about women from history. Um, and we've been doing it for about a year and a half now. Um, and you know, people said to us at a certain point, like, oh, are you going to run out of women to feature? <laughs> <laughs> so we've kept people? it going. We've kept it going for that reason. Um, yeah, five minutes is awesome. Five minutes is hard to sell to advertisers, but it's great for parents and parents with kids. And we've got a really big range of listeners for that show, um, which is really cool. It's become our basic, it's become our flagship. So, I mean, you wanted, I want to get to the, the ad side, but like, I'm interested in, you know, in this diversification of podcasts, I think one of the diversifications is, is, is short, 
right? Yeah. I mean, there's more. I've noticed more of these like daily podcasts that are that are short and that are briefings and that are you know five ten minutes rather than yeah. I think the standard feels like a half a half hour to like forty minutes, and then you've yeah. got the Bill the Bill Simmons crooked media sort of that goes into like an hour plus. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, part of it is we want to figure out where we fit into someone's overall media diet. And when you're creating content like Encyclopedia Womanica, that's evergreen and frankly earnest, right? Like we're just trying to educate people about interesting women from history. Um, Where does that fit? And it could fit as a break in your day. It could fit in the morning after you listen to the daily. It can fit um, while you're making dinner, but it's not five minutes is like it's hard to know exactly where that fits because it fits in so many places. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we think of it as like, what can you do it in tandem with? What other listening activities can you do it in tandem with? And I think that's really interesting. When I look at like all these new like daily briefings that are five to 10 minutes, I'm skeptical of those. I actually think that's harder to habituate because people have already shown that they're willing to listen to the daily at 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. Um, so with these different podcasts, you have, like, are you building a brand or are you building franchises? Like, I, I wonder, like, like, do, like you guys describe yourselves as an audio first media company, which I think says we're not a podcast studio. We're not just looking to let, not just, I mean, look at what they sold for, yeah. but, uh, you know, I think the, the ethos of a lot of these, um, you know, Wondery, for example, is we're just the studio and, you mm-hmm. know, the brands are, are the shows. How are you looking at that? Is, is that the, the same approach? Different? This is a very good question. It's the question on my mind. Um, we are trying to build a brand, but I would say as a bootstrapped media company, we sort of had to make some hard choices early on. And it felt like a better use of money uh, and resources to design beautiful podcast art than to create a gorgeous brand book um, and develop a huge social media following for Wonder Media Network. Also, like, as you know, podcast followings ultimately are about the hosts and they're about the content and the charisma of a particular show. They're much less about the fact that it comes from Digiday or it comes from Crooked. There are those like super, super fans that are like, I'll listen to anything that comes out of Slate. But Slate has like lots of different types of shows with lots of different types of listeners. Um, And it also has all these other entities that people are following. So there's more brand loyalty there. We started with nothing. We started with no celebrity, no audience, no podcasts in existence and no brand in existence. So like building all of that together at once was really hard, continues to be really hard. So we have much more brand recognition for our individual shows, for our franchises, but I Mm -hmm. have not lost sight of Wonder Media Network as a brand. And I think this is the last thing I'll say on this. We also are a B2B organization. And so I've been a little bit more focused on brand building Wonder Media Network in the branded podcast space or as a production studio. And that brand name feels household in a way that it doesn't to like the women who I think listen to our podcasts. But I think that the key is that there, I mean, the key behind a brand is, is that there's an ethos and a point of view that, um, that stretches, um, across all of its representations. So if you're listening to, you have a variety of different podcasts, but that there is a thread, like they're not just like randomly, like, you know, that there, there's something that ties them together. And that something is 
that it is giving voice to underrepresented voices and like what else it's it's more i call this like activist media but it like it takes point of view to to an area that um is almost like we are absolutely for you know forcing change in some way mm-hmm. is that fair so this is also like one of the fundamental questions that we have um jenny my co-founder's background is a Bloomberg, as I said, and so she's a journalist. Like she, her training yeah. is to be nonpartisan. Right, um, on the one hand, on the other hand, to be sure. And yeah, <laughs> and like Old Navy is also supposed to be nonpartisan, and they're like paying people to work at the polls now. Uh, I mean, like they're going to give off on yeah. election day so that people can work at the polls. So like our mission, our full mission is to amplify underrepresented voices and to inspire action. Um, and promote empathy, justice. Like, mm-hmm. we're excited about people opening their minds to the stories that they otherwise wouldn't hear and giving a platform to people that, like, probably wouldn't be able to host a podcast with The Ringer. Um, so, like, all of our hosts are non-celebrity to date. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like a silly media strategy, honestly. Like, how are you supposed to build an audience with non-celebrity? But we're just testing to see if this is viable. Um the other thing is when we started the organization, when we started the company, people asked us why we weren't just a nonprofit. And while I have many friends in the nonprofit the same people, space. Are these the same people uh, <laughs> who were asking you if you're going to run out of women? To you're shocked by this, but like, this is commonplace. I mean, it doesn't, I don't usually complain about it. I'd be, I'm like, not trying why to, are you, I'd be like, why are you not a nonprofit? <laughs> well, it's like much love to the people in nonprofit, but like, I'm trying to make money here. Like, yeah, I'm trying to do good and develop stories that are mission driven, but we're trying to make money and we want to prove that like, you don't have to be a pink politico using air quotes again. You can just like be good media that happens to be led by women. So like, I don't like identifying as a women's media company. I like identifying as a mission driven media company where everything that we do has to check the boxes of, is this inspiring empathy in the world? Is this like driving people to take action? Um, And if it does those things, when people bring us pitches, if it does some of those things, we're excited to take Mm -hmm. it to the next step. If it doesn't, maybe it brings other things to the business, but but, you know, it might not be a Wonder Media Network original. Right, so let's talk about some of those. Um, Tell me about the Brown Girl's Guide to Politics. Brown Girl's Guide to Politics um, is the third show that we ever made. The host is this amazing woman, um, Ashanti Golar. She's the president of Emerge America, which is an organization that helps um, progressive women run for office. Um, And she has a blog by the same name. We met her because we interviewed her for the first season of Women Belong in the House, which was our first show. And she said, you know, I've always wanted to make a podcast. And like, would you guys do that for me? And we said, we have no money, but we love you and we'll make this for you. Like maybe we can do a rev share. And she was like, great, let's do it. Um, and we're right now planning our fifth season. Um, so we've managed to do for that show, um, basically entirely full season sponsorships. Um, and so it's been one of our longest running and most profitable shows. Mm -hmm. Um, the audience is ever growing it has picked up on a lot of the momentum that the platforms are caring about the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, And so it's gotten a lot of attention on the platforms, which has been really helpful. It is an interview style show. Um, We are starting to switch up the structure a little bit because as I said previously, like having interview-based conversations only um, 
if the host is not a journalist, can be really hard and can get tired. And so we're switching, we're going to bring in a co-host for the next season, and we're going to have it be a little bit more action-oriented leading up to the election. Um, Again, Wonder Media Network is nonpartisan. That show is partisan for sure. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. So... Talk to me about it being nonpartisan, right? I mean, so I and, and we're in a very weird um, <laughs> uh, time right now. Um, but you know, women belong in the house, um, and then uh, majority fifty-four. Like, no matter what, you're going to get put in the box of being liberal progressive. Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, maybe I think- it shouldn't be that way, but I just that's <laughs> sort of the world we live in. <laughs> yeah, it is the world we live in. I mean, the business has evolved quite a bit. Um, we also, as I said previously, like we're trying to make money here in addition to everything else and proliferate good information. And we know who our audience is. So we're not going to say like, oh, we for the sake of being nonpartisan, we're going to try to get a bunch of conservative yeah. women to Kelly start Kellyanne Conway, she's leaving the White House. You can have her. <laughs> I would love to have her as a guest. Okay, on there you go. <laughs> oh, but you're not, you're, not willing, you're not offering her a show. That's true, but she hasn't come to us and pitched us the show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Chicken and egg thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, in terms of nonpartisan, like, I, I guess the, the, the thing that I'll say is, like, we, we talk a lot about, like, gender representation and gender equity. Gender equity should not be a partisan issue, and yet, unfortunately, it is. Yeah. And so... But you're not, like, crooked media. I mean, crooked media is... I mean, this is, I like, really... I'm fascinated by crooked media in that yeah. it straddles the line of a complete political, um, it's basically a political action committee and media company. And it's, it's, it's able to do it. Yeah. And they've been super successful because like their call to actions are incredibly clear. Like it is awesome that leading up to the election, like, first of all, we, we have a really good relationship with Crooked, do a lot of stuff with them. Like leading up to the election, the fact that they can send people to vote save America is really cool. And like all of their stuff is under one umbrella. Talk about having a brand, like, their brand is really pod save and everything else right. sort of falls under that. But like the ethos is consistent across the board um, yeah. and they're willing to take a very significant stand. We're more like the majority of our content is more narrative style. It's more seasonal. It's not always on. It's um, we're trying to provide information. And so we hope that because of that, um, we can bring in more diverse voices we can like sort of we're not trying to compete with the daily or today explained we're, we're not creating news shows we're creating like smart reported stories about things that are happening now from a perspective that's balanced and journalistic in its inception but you know like we're, it's not like we have a newsroom okay so let's talk about the the money side um, cause you came from, from the brand strategy side. So how are you going to, I assume you're going to make money by, by integrating the brands in air quotes. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, <laughs> so what's the, I mean, I assume it's not just like have like a podcast ad network. Yes. It's not that. Um, when we started the company, Jenny was supposed to make the stuff and I was supposed to figure out like, how do we get an audience and how do we sell this stuff? Um, and it was clear to me, and it continues to be clear to me, that developing a podcast audience is, like, one of the hardest things in media, period. Um, and the way that ads are sold in podcasting are sold against audience, which makes sense, theoretically. Um, but it just means that, like, 
you can't really be viable unless you're getting at least 50,000 downloads per episode. And you can't scale that unless you're selling out every single one of your ad spots and you have repeat customers and your hosts are all really good at doing ad reads and all these things. Um, and so my thought was, if we're creating mission-driven content and there's all these organizations out there that say that they care about women, that say that they care about the same things that we say we care about, like, let's find those dollars. They may not come from marketing departments. They may come from CSR or HR um, or other parts of organizations. Um, and let's tell their story integrated mm-hmm. into our content. Like, I love branded content. I think done well and in the right place, like, it can be incredibly impactful. And so if we have a wrapped audience and if we can help big organizations dip their toes into the audio space by creating beautiful brand content that has like an integrated feel, that's awesome. The ideal scenario is let's get Microsoft to sponsor a podcast and also promote the podcast because they look good being attached to the show. We get the audience and we get the money so that we can create the good content and it's a beautiful cycle. That's a bit theoretical. It is not that hard in practice, in practice. I mean, it's not that easy in practice. Um, I was going to say, oh my God, this would, this would be a first. It's like, it's not that hard. (laughs) It's, um, I mean, I've been really good at it. (laughs) What is the hardest part? Because I mean, look, all of media is hard and like, it's, it's particularly hard. I want to get into the bootstrap um, angle to this. Um, But it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like, oh, well, when you have scale, you can do it. But it's like, how do you get scale? And it's like, you can't get scale and then you can't get the ads. And it's, it's, um, you know, you get stuck. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, what, like an example of, of, of when it did click, when it did work, like a success case with a brand integrating them. Yeah. Um, the most recent one, um, happened in Women's History Month, and I'm sure that we'll talk about the pandemic in a little bit, so this can tie in. Um, Women's History Month is in March every year, and we, for Encyclopedia Womanica, sold a full month takeover to Fiverr, the uh, platform for freelancers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way it worked is every single day, they got a 30-second post-roll um, on all of our episodes, and on the weekends, we created bonus episodes in the same style as Encyclopedia Womanica. So also five minutes, also telling the stories of amazing women, but rather than being from history, they were women who used the Fiverr platform or the CMO of Fiverr was one of the women. Um, and we just told their story in a way that sort of integrated Fiverr and Fiverr's work. And the idea was, as part of Women's History Month, we don't just look back, we look forward, Women Today are doing all these amazing things, brought to you by Fiverr. We set up a storefront with them. We did some PR with them. um, And they promoted nearly every day on all of their social media um, on this store, which basically um, Fiverr had accomplished pay equity on their platform, which they Mm. announced in um, March. You could sort of like hire some of their top freelancers. and there was a link to Encyclopedia Womanica to learn about amazing women from history and profile some of the women on the platform. Okay, that's uh, that's that's pretty involved, and I think uh, mm-hmm. you probably run into a lot of brands that you know are just like, no, it's it's that this this is not doesn't fit in a spreadsheet, and um, you're too small, and you're like, uh, this yeah. doesn't scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest hurdle with podcast advertising. I mean, I try to I try to say that I'm not doing podcast advertising. I'm I'm giving marketing solutions, but 
that aside, like when you use the word audio or use the word media placement or whatever, like obviously I'm working with not only Veritone and ad results, but I'm working with Kara and I'm working with Horizon and all these massive media organizations that like they care about scale. Like that is it. They're just, it might be that they have $200,000 that they could play around with and just throw and don't have to track it. But like, they're not interested in making their jobs harder than they are um, unless there's celebrity attached or some other like massive brand campaign. And so in terms of like the friction, um, that's big. It's also just understanding. I mean, this may seem inane, like I'm newish to sales. I had never done sales previously, like just understanding what the cycles are for RFPs being put out from brands, getting the RFPs from brands figuring out like, should I sell them a branded podcast? Should I sell them an integrated branded podcast? Should I tell them about Mm -hmm. like one ad spot on one show? Like what's like, what's first of all, the cost benefit. And second of all, like who, who's even going to be willing to do this? Like, yeah, is really hard. And also nobody really knows how to track any of this stuff. Um, so even brands that are looking to buy at scale, um, the analytics are really poor. And so yeah, I it's just downloads of, at this point still. Yeah. It's still just downloads. Yeah. And then, you know, I, the ad system is so messed up and, and like my favorite part of the ad system is if you go on like seller crowd, the fact that like the people out there trying to sell advertising, um, literally spend most of their time trying to figure out like who to contact even about like, uh, because the turnover at agencies is so it's like, do you know who's doing Geico now? Like the, nobody even knows. Um, so it's, yeah. it's an uphill battle to be sure. I mean, so my, let, my daily report from seller crowd is like something I look forward to. In <laughs> yeah, my exactly. <laughs> so good job, Clayton. Um, <laughs> the, uh, let's talk about the pandemic a little bit. Um, you know, what has been, obviously it's, it's impacted every business. Um, but what has been the impact, um, for you guys? Um, so at the beginning, ad sales took a huge hit. Um, we had like a couple deals that were basically done except for signed and they all disappeared. Um, so that was really hard. Um, Switching to a remote workforce, even though we're only 10 employees, has been really hard. Um, we have this beautiful office, which was like a big accomplishment and big milestone in our in our yep. business. Um, and we're obviously not there right now. Um, and just figuring out, I mean, you're doing it too, but like remote recording, while it can happen and it's less disruptive than other media, it's still no small thing, especially when working with talent and guests and booking and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, also like audience has shifted. We, so again, like I mentioned that we did this big activation in women's history month, women's history month is the moment for us. It's when all the platforms give us the love. It's when people want our content. It's when we get a lot of press. Um, and because that coincided with like the downfall of the universe, um, our numbers were up overall in March and April because of all of the extra promotion, but they were not like percentage wise, they were down from the previous year's increase in a mm-hmm. in women's history month. Now, how much of your, of your listener li- listening is commute driven? Cause I wonder like when we come out of this and the, the new normal, you know, people are going to not be commuting as much for a long time about whether, podcasting overall as a sector 
will sort of stagnate because of that. Yeah. Um, the majority was commute. Um, now it's all over the map. I would say that Womanica is still largely listened to in the morning. Um, it's a ritual for people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think like eventually when commutes come back, totally like people are going to want to listen to podcasts. The best place to listen to podcasts is in the car and the subway. Um, I, our news shows have shifted a lot. Um, so the, we have a couple shows where like the audience is the same audience that watches MSNBC. So if you have MSNBC on while you're like eating your breakfast, like why would you also listen to this podcast that's 40 minutes about the same exact topics? Like we're already getting so much of this news information elsewhere that I think committing time to a news podcast that might've been commute, it's hard. Like those audiences have suffered. Our narrative nonfiction work it's just listen to it at different times of the day. It's still entertainment. It happens on people's walks. It happens when you're cooking dinner. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Like, I think that that will come back, like when commutes come back, mm-hmm. which I think they will. So, yeah, I think so. I hope so. Um, <laughs> so final thing is, uh, um, would love to hear some thoughts about being, this is your first time founder, right? I am. And, and you guys are bootstrapping it. It's, the hardest of the hard of the hard. And media is hard. <laughs> Bootstrapping is hard. Um, and talk to me about what has surprised you. I mean, that you didn't expect um, going into this. That that um, that's been your experience. Um, I guess what's been surprising is that. Well, there's two things. One is podcast specific. I have the same exact marketing playbook as you. I, we have the same exact marketing playbook as the Michelle Obama podcast. They have a bigger budget than we do, but we're all doing the same stuff to try to get listeners. And I think that's true, like not just in terms of our podcast specific marketing, but like in a lot of the things that we do. And just because I'm a first time founder and just because our team is small and like all of this and we have fewer resources, like the thing that's been surprising is like, we're not doing things any differently than the giants out there and nobody quite has it figured out. Like this may sound cliche, but I have been, I have been surprised at the fact that like, I I don't actually feel at a disadvantage. The only disadvantage is resource. And that could be a confidence ego thing. Mm -hmm. I actually think that could be an advantage too. Right. I mean, you, I always say like, you know, you, you don't have, you don't have like rope to hang yourself with because you can't, you can't like do these pivots to video or pivots to whatever. Or, oh, we'll try this. Oh, we'll try to sell to Netflix and stuff. You yeah. have to, you, it's forced focus. Yeah, totally. The other thing, and this is also maybe like an ego thing or confidence thing, but um, like I've emailed presidents of billion, trillion dollar companies and they respond. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you find someone's email, you send them a nice note. It's well-written. They respond. Like not always. I'm, send probably thousands of emails a week and the majority go unanswered. But like you just, I mean, again, cliche, but like you pull up a seat, you show what you got to give and you get a response. And that's been surprising and affirming. And I think it's like how we've been successful. Okay. All right. We're going to leave it there. So we stick on the uh, half hour mark. Um, Cool. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Brian. And thank you all for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode.